And then much like Wendy became the hot topic, I became a hot topic myself. When you di- should you should start a competing account to uh, diet Prada and call it BMI Prada, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So I just want to welcome our special guest today. Uh, he's bold. He's brash. He's unapologetically Meshugana. Ladies and gentlemen, David Firestein. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> welcome to my home. <laughs> Sorry, I mean David Fearman. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to my home. <sighs> Where um, is your home? Just so we can send you love letters and uh, oily packages with too much postage. Uh, we are recording to you live from the East River Co-ops, uh, my new uh, vertical village. <laughs> your we Jane were just, Jacobs moment in life. <laughs> we were uh, just uh, coming back from the Bernie Madoff vigil. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh my God, David! This is this is so exciting. You're our first New York guest. Well, well, thank you for having me. Um, so, David, you run a gallery uh, in the neighborhood, not too far away from where you're living. I do indeed. I run a gallery called Fearman that is on Henry Street. Uh, we proudly hosted Amir's. 2019 pre-pandemic show. pre-pandemic uh <laughs> new york solo debut Amazing. i believe uh in early 2019 and i've been in operation since 2016 and currently have a show up by matthew kirk who is a great artist that i've represented for many years amazing yeah i saw it online it looks really good i wish i could be there in person but there's a travel ban right now so Indeed. I'm also getting my, but I'm getting my second vaccination shot later today. This is a very exciting day for me. Podcast and vaccination. I'm so happy for you. This will air tomorrow when David's going to be completely uh, knocked out in bed. Oh, thank God. And for all of you who I'm going to run into, I'll save you the question. It's Moderna. Oh, so uh, well, Shemek, you, you have some uh, uplifting news uh, oh, to share. Finally, after having an emotional and spiritual breakdown <laughs> a few days ago. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll save the bad news. I'm sure anyone who knows me who read this, like my neighbor who's 38 passed away from COVID, um, which really freaked me out. He's the guy who ran the corner store. And so that, on top of just, like, feeling like I was slipping through the cracks of the medical system, I had just had it. Um, But today I went to a clinic that a few people had suggested to me, and I was put on a list because I'm in the high-risk group. And so I'm just waiting for an email now of when to come in, and I just feel relieved even though I don't have an appointment or anything just knowing that I'm like in the system and someone actually knows that I need this and is not just waiting until the last minute like when 16 year olds are getting it or whatever so I mean I feel like this is the first time in a long time that anyone was happy to uh, go on a list in Germany (laughs) (laughs) 
well, congratulations. Can't wait for you to... Uh, wait, do you know what you're getting if you're when you're getting it? He asked me if I'm okay getting either AstraZeneca or BioNTech Pfizer. And, and I said, yeah, I have no issue. He's like, that's good. I think that's better. Because obviously more people want the Pfizer one because of all the blood clotting drama, etc. Um, which is mostly disproportionately affecting women, young women. Uh, But he agreed, like, I should just get it. And he seemed like a very kind of careful person. So, yeah, I think that's for the best. It's better just to get it as quickly as possible and get whatever is available rather than trying to hold it out for the the better car. Well, that's amazing. I know how uh, arduous, arduous this journey has been for you. Ugh, it has. And like, if if I'm dealing with this, think about people who like uh, don't have the capabilities or privilege I do. Right. Who might not even no, have a need... smartphone to look things up. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It sounds like in Berlin, you need some extreme savvy to uh, not fall yeah. through the cracks, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well. so that's a relief, and I visited uh, an artist studio today, Michelle, I'll say it the Polish way, Jezerski. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Michelle uh, Jezerski, I guess uh, others would say, and she's a really great painter. She's uh, a born and raised Berliner. Uh, I found out that her parents came from the United States uh, in the 80s, and that's an interesting story, too, of like... Uh, a non-military family that came in the 80s from America. And yeah, her paintings are amazing and I'm going to post them on Instagram so everyone can check them out. Amazing. Um, Well, maybe we can ask our uh, guest uh, today to tell us more about his history in this business. (laughs) If you'd like to share some important milestones. Uh, (laughs) Is is a tea kettle on right now? (laughs) Um... Me, little old me. Um, <clears throat> I've had this. I've been working in galleries for sixteen years. Uh, I worked at Salon ninety four for many years, which was fabulous. Um, <laughs> I opened as featured on uh, the hit television show Work of Art seasons one through two on Bravo. I attended the taping of one of those. Really? Yeah, in two thousand eight. Uh, with yeah, with 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 what's this face? Simone de Puri and Jerry and Jeannie and China Chow, and it was it was something. Um, <laughs> they all had to make the the challenge was making art in response to test driving. I think a Mercedes. What? Oh, I remember that. <laughs> yes, no, I remember that episode. And someone did, this girl that worked for uh, Jeff Koons in his studio did this very, I think it was her she was, or That was guy. my favorite. The one yeah. who took all the pictures of people looking at her. She was like very skinny and hot and <laughs> conventionally hot and wore like a mini dress. I talked to her for a long time about it. Yeah. I thought it was the most interesting take, which was saying something, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I opened a gallery... Uh, in 2011 called Louis B. James that we'll just let that be there Um, (laughs) which closed in 2016 after a lot of interpersonal drama Uh, and then happily opened Fearman in 2016 and it's been smooth sailing ever since oh amazing 
Yeah, I've been to your gallery a few times. I've also seen your art fair presentations, like at NADA pre-pandemic. <laughs> Since this is Wait, a safe so, podcast. So one thing that David didn't mention is that he's a dime square denizen. <laughs> yeah, he's a clandestino uh, clan member. But he, he was there first. Exactly. Yes, I've, I actually had an experience on Saturday where I was very annoyed at Clandestina where, like, you know, they just don't hire enough waiters to have this outdoor seating yeah. situation. And all the Ella Emhoffs were there ordering martinis. And I was waiting for about 20 minutes to, to get <laughs> served, and it didn't happen. And so I, you know, I'm a regular, and I kind of just had to storm off in a huff. Yeah. Wait, have you, have I mean, you seen her there? Oh, yeah. You've seen LM Hop there? Okay. I feel like my, my only Dime Square sort of sighting was uh, Lourdes, basically. I haven't seen Ella. Oh my god, you did see Lourdes. Yeah, a couple of times. A couple of times. She lives on uh, Bleep Street. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I have a, a source in the hood who tells me all the sightings because let's just say they have a, a window on the world right on Dime Square, and... Um, I saw Aziz Ansari in that very source's place of business a couple of years ago <laughs> after he got cancelled. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> well, Dave, I think, I think I, we just have to do some... Um, what, do you, what do you call it? Some full disclosure. Uh, Amir did try to matchmake David and I. True. Um, <laughs> Since this is a journalistic podcast, we just have to have full disclosure. Tell your truth. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, it just we're suited to, to be friends more than I know more but than I, lovers. But I, I would still marry you, so just know that, David. Okay. <laughs> if, if I if I need if I need to get to Canada or Europe, exactly. If Trump you're comes my back in twenty twenty four, then then we can get married. We'll get. We'll be talking then. <laughs> Uh, um yeah okay how has the pandemic been in terms of like the gallery business as a new york gallerist what is happening it's been okay uh i mean you know it was intense to be we were closed from march to basically june of last year uh and it took a little while but people decided that like rich people decided that they weren't embarrassed to shop after oh, about yeah. a month so they started and they were all in their country houses <laughs> for much longer than they usually are so i did some business even when the gallery was closed of people being like you know i need to upgrade this wall send me some options it's like a client in, in her house in utah and oh wow and then you know otherwise the fall was good it was also socially kind of nice to have a gallery because it allowed me to have a few you know regular chance interactions with people yeah which have been completely eliminated by pandemic social life um it's been fun you know it's a rocky road but and it was it was a bummer without the art fairs giving you a little boost at the end of the year yeah to ride through the slow months of january february but things have been picking up and new york feels i mean you know it's Interesting, and I don't actually have any insight really as to why America is better at, or at least New York is better at getting vaccinated than Europe seems to be. Um, mm -hmm. But most people I know are pretty much vaccinated, at least half. 
Yeah, yeah. And so it feels like things are actually returning to a more normal state of life, and it's spring, and people are coming around, and also it seems like people are returning from Florida. The mass exodus to Florida seems to be turning a page. Yeah. Uh, because earlier this year, I had more than one client tell me they either... Decamped? They Well, they, yes, they all decamped, but... So I just kept getting these emails being like, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't written back to you in two weeks. I'm in Florida. Everything's so amazing here. Did you think of opening a pop-up? Oh, my God. I'm on island time. Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to open a pop-up in Florida. You weren't considering that? I mean, (laughs) no, I wasn't considering that. I don't like Florida. I, well, maybe we could do it and Amir and I will man it. And I mean, actually the only place I would do it and I did make a joke about this because somebody asked where I was and I said I would do it in Fort Lauderdale. Oh like, yeah. The cheesy gays. Yeah. yeah the make, cheesy I would gaze. do my pop up there. Also, did you watch Tabitha takes over ever? It's like, she oh, went, I love that uh, show. Yes, when she went to some like trashy Fort Lauderdale gay bar and like whipped them into shape. That's totally our one time, vibe. One of my favorite Miami Basel stories was my first year being there in 2006. I pretended I was sick and left the booth and went to hang out with my then boyfriend's really queeny uncle in Fort Lauderdale for the night. <laughs> and he had a thick like upstate New York accent and we, we went to a bar called Scandals. Oh my God. <laughs> and listened on repeat to the Jennifer Hudson Dream Girl soundtrack. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Jennifer Love Hewitt. Uh, no, 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 no. It, it was not that long ago. It was 2006. <laughs> and uh, then we went out to breakfast at some diner that was all gay men. And I watched some muscle queen eat uh, like biscuits and gravy with maybe eight eggs on top of it and he just like the way he ate it he just set right into it as if it was his job yes because he's bulking he's he's doing his prep (laughs) yes and i was i was uh pretty amazed by that so that was that was a good fort lauderdale miami moment for anyone that doesn't know me i'm all about high and low and that's totally up my alley so (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think we all are i mean i at least i am i don't know about amir he's a little I'm a snob. Yeah, she's a little <laughs> snobby. <laughs> um, wait, David, do you miss uh, do you miss Nada? Do you miss Basel? Which one would you? I miss Nada because I miss making money. Uh-huh. Um, but like socially and or for the gossip. Yeah, I mean it's fun. It's a, yeah, it's a fun little trashy adventure, and you always do some little bit of extra shameful thing and. We love Twist. We make money. We love Twist. We love Twist. Yeah. This past, my, my favorite thing that happened to me this past time was, uh, in 2019 when I was there, was it was like the last night after deinstalling the booth and I was at dinner and these um, kind of wealthy Gen Xers that I was hanging out with asked me if I wanted to finish off their acid-infused water. <laughs> so I just had a night of like tripping by myself around other people. At a restaurant. When was that? The last night of 2019, Nada. Really? Oh, that's why you fell off the radar. I remember. (laughs) (laughs) We were like, where's David? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I yeah, I had a it was a, it was an acid trip kind of night, but it was fun. <laughs> Never done it. Do you know is Nada coming back uh, in full force next year? That is the rumor. Okay. Word on the street is that Nada 2021 will be happening in Miami. Okay, are you, we need are to you be ex- there. Are you excited for The Shed? Freeze at The Shed or anything? Uh... No, I mean, I kind of hate Freeze as an organization, and I'll just say that. And how do you how do you differentiate it from Nada? Like, what are the? I main... just think they're meaner. They're meaner. Okay. And I think that they <laughs> care to specify. I think that it was mean of them. I think that they assumed they could come in and run the armory out of town uh-huh. when they started Freeze New York. Mm-hmm. Because everybody loves to hate the armory, like Freeze L- uh, like Freeze LA. Yes, exactly. And, but yeah, so they kind of like to just go somewhere where there's already an existing structure and be like, we're just going to do this and assume that they're going to be the coolest game in town because they are in a tent and they're English. Uh, (laughs) Because Americans always find uh, British people classy no matter how trashy they are. Yeah, you, yeah. Need, you need a British villain uh, as the face of your operation. <laughs> and they just charge so much money, even just to get in. I mean, I was looking at, I was seeing someone say that for the shed thing, I think it's like $150 just to get in. Damn. And I know that they're trying to limit capacity, but I mean, Freeze LA was the same thing before COVID. And it just seems silly. Like, who, yeah. who wants to pay $150? And it's also this weird self-selecting thing where obviously everyone who knows the galleries and might be buying something who could afford a $150 ticket won't be paying it because they get free passes. Right. So it's a way to kind of keep it away from regular art tourists, people like yeah. my parents, yeah. for example, who would often go to the Armory show and just walk around. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people do business at the Armory. So Freeze, uh, they didn't succeed in getting rid of the armory and I kind of love watching them fumble I loved that year in 2018 where it was the air conditioning didn't work and it was like 95 degrees in the tent and oh my god classic wait what was that lawsuit that same year what was the issue in Miami oh, I don't know was, there was like a class uh, class action oh that they were so the dealers were suing the Kordansky fair with our Basel. Oh, was it Basel? I'm totally. I think it was. Our, well, no, that I think the class action thing was against Freeze for being really hot. Yeah, right. yeah, that was hot. And then there's other times where it's like leaking tents, and then like flooding, and there's always just some drama. Like, yeah, and one of the main people there, I just have have worked with in the art consulting capacity when they were at a gallery, and I just found them to be incredibly unpleasant so i was happy to watch them bye watch them sweat i'm I'm sure the 10th leak happened because of like matrix metric system imperial system (laughs) conversion (laughs) gone wrong (laughs) well according to the new york times uh june 8th 2018 freeze fair puts a price on high heat it was met with a lawsuit so that's where it was Yeah, and like all the old people who went there on the vernissage were super cranky and they never went back because it's really a pain in the ass to get to. Oh, God. 
Yeah, I went, I guess it was like 2016, and it was so annoying to get to. It was gray and raining. It was basically like Berlin weather. And it was a miserable experience, and it was very... Just felt like the place was going to collapse any second. It felt like being in a, a humid car on a rainy day. <laughs> I miss those days when we all shared our particles of air with each other <laughs> <laughs> without a concern. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of the New York Times, uh, I stumbled on a uh, nice little feature on a I'm T here, magazine. Can you come closer to the mic. Yeah, sorry. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, way better. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of New York Times, uh, this past weekend's Tea Magazine Friends issue is something that maybe we would want to talk about on this episode. <laughs> maybe Pshema can uh, give us a little recap on uh, what the matter is. Well, so uh, Tea Magazine, which uh, some of you might know is a bloated insert uh, in occasional issues of the New York Times, uh, has their annual culture issue... Uh, which I'm like, isn't every issue a culture issue of T Magazine? Um, and it's week, uh, a, sorry, a celebration of friendship in all its many forms. In T's 2021 culture issue, we honor the relationships that help us endure an impossible year. And basically, the uh, the idea of this is friends as muses. Uh, so. Uh, let me check. Wait, were we featured? No. Um, and but you know what's <laughs> featured first is a disclaimer story about how they kept this story safe and produced it safe under COVID conditions. <laughs> like they're just waiting for a lawsuit or something, or like a New York uh, Department of Labor like <laughs> injunction or something. I mean, I feel like now that. Uh, Don McNeil Jr., what's his name, has been uh, fired from their staff. There's no, uh, no one to finger wag at them for this. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a variety of, you know, these small stories with a few images. Some truly are interesting. I would like to read about them, even down to something as obvious as best friends, Chloe Sevigny and Natasha Leone. Love I them. love Natasha. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of humanized Chloe a bit for me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it was written by that Hanya person. Oh, who's that? The writer of that horrible book, A Little Life. <laughs> that book that made me want to tear my eyes out. Sorry, I don't read uh, contemporary American fiction. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's like stories like Friends Who Are Muses, Catherine Deneuve, Betty Catru, and Anthony Vacciarello. It's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, why Yves Saint Laurent just paid for that? Yeah, exactly. But that's what I mean. All it's these stories like the old like. Yves Saint Laurent muses being now with the new designer. It's just, yeah. just all, I mean, this is all, this is all just publicists. Yeah, it's publicists. It's SpawnCon. It's like probably Sutton PR placed uh, stories. Um, yeah. So there's there's you know a few interesting things, but then. You get into kind of the world of the visual arts where, as I kind of noticed, um, you only have relevancy to the New York Times if you're highly connected, privileged, or wealthy. And your story is only worth hearing if you 
currently or recently have had a MoMA, Whitney, or Guggenheim solo show, um, which, as we know, isn't purely a, a meritocracy, um, but it's you know being championed and positioned by the collector class within those institutional systems is kind of what gets you there. So, Amir, what was your favorite story in uh, <laughs> this well, Friends issue? <laughs> My favorite story features features my favorite go-to destination every summer, the Fire Island Pines, which, disclaimer, I've never been to. I've only been to Fire Island one single time, and I've been to the straight, heterosexual side of Fire Island. <laughs> like a real old Jew. Yeah. Sorry, but I'm a, I'm a closeted straight person, if you haven't noticed yeah. so far. Well, according um, to the photo, your textiles that you normally wear don't read as queer, so. <laughs> uh, and I am big on textiles. Um, anyways, Weekend Friends is the title of this feature. For this creative group, The Pines remains a summer haven for queerness and connection. Our first summer out here was in 2012, thanks to a nonprofit called uh is it Buffo? How do you pronounce it? Buffo? Started by Faris Al-Shatir, which runs an artist residency I participated in. A group of us have been coming to Fire Island ever since. We've become like family. Queer artists have spent time in the Pines for decades. The group Pajama, Paul Cadmus and Jared and Margaret French were here in the 1930s getting weird. It's just right for the light and for the ocean and for getting away from other people's eyes. David Hockney was playing in the Pines in the 1970s before AIDS devastated the creative community. Privileged spaces by the beach tend to be rather white, and that's a fair critique of the Pines. Still, I think in its spirit it has been a place for people to find escape from the straight, patriarchal world. Even though it's mostly gay men, it's away from the regular, the norm, and the role of the artist is to expand what's possible." Um, can I ask both of you what your take is on the Fire Island Pines before I like say what I think? This summer uh, was the first time that I spent a week in Fire Island. I stayed in Cherry Grove with some bears. Sounds and white and privileged. I, it was a white and privileged thing. It was, you know, it cost me about $1,500 to rent a room for a week. Um, is that the going rate? Uh, in Cherry Grove, and that's cheaper than the Pines. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah. And I would say that the first two days I walked over to the Pines and for, to the beach to meet up with a friend and then stayed in Cherry Grove the rest of the time and was much happier. The Pines is, uh, the beach was pretty much exclusively very, very fit, probably 80 to ni- 80, 85, 90% white men in their 30s to 50s in bikini bathing suits. Uh, And also, you know, I had seen some, there were some, uh, I had seen some images of kind of hippie Black Lives Matter protests on the beach. Oh my God, I remember the flags. And I just, you know, it it seemed rather disconnected and rather... Uh, socially intimidating and if the quote on here is that it's a way to escape the patriarchy uh, uh, it's not <laughs> I would say that it's just a reiteration of the patriarchy in very very specific and 
tired gay male tropes. Yes. I also will say that uh, I'm not someone who really subscribes to this idea of a social utopia. And this seems to be what the going argument is. Uh, I just don't, I try not to take my life that seriously and that it's nice to go to the beach with friends and it's very nice to go to a nice beach with friends and be able to walk there from the house you're paying to stay in and then, you know, have some drinks and smoke weed at night and make dinner with your friends. But that's also just, that's all it is for me. There's not a utopian aspect to it. Yeah, I I don't think it's me. Oh, sorry. I have a question for David. Um, Being an art professional, how... Do you see sort of how is this culture sort of infiltrated into the institutional level, uh, this sort of clique of people? Do you think there's like perhaps an overprevalence of this subject matter? In the, is this a leading question, Amir? Am I being led? It's a yes or no question. <laughs> Amir... Am I, was I silent? Judge Amir. <laughs> or was I silent? Um, you know, I mean, you know the answer to that. It's, it's a very, it's a very elite clique of people and they're kind of being, you know, it's hard to say how much of this is their pushing and how much of this is their galleries and PR machines pushing this. And so it's hard to find fault with specific people uh, because you don't know we're all being used in a larger sense by someone else for money. And so it's hard to know if people like the people in this spread found it kind of cringeworthy and embarrassing or if they liked it. And I guess, I guess what I wanted to ask is that you've also been a champion of queer art in your program, in your gallery. How do you sort of see it? How is it set apart from this more sort of institutionalized or more commercial uh, aspect of the art world. Where do you situate yourself on that spectrum in comparison to that sort of click? I feel like I always try to come at things from the non-hegemonic angle because I feel like I, for cornier, less corny purposes, come out of things from like a right girl aesthetic. Um, and so I think, I mean, and the other thing is I don't particularly love figurative painting, which is the kind of style of choice in this group. So I think it just kind of doesn't, I'm kind of outside of it anyway. So mm. I think it's, it's, you know, it's there. I guess what, what I find fascinating is sort of the rehashing of... Uh you know, histories, persecutions, and uh, tragedies, and sort of, I don't know, assuming that mantle in sort of a more contemporary form that's kind of removed from, you know, those tragedies, like... uh, Yeah, I would say that it's, uh, it's like, first time it's politics, then it's style. Mm. Like, before it becomes... You know, when it when it is quote unquote radical, it is then thirty years later translated into retro pastiche. Yeah. Well, I think I mean, something yeah. happening here too is is um, 
this idea of queerness as like, uh, how do I phrase this? This is like a group of privileged people who I think is referencing their queerness as uh, like a life handicap in the moment in a way. You know, it's like I need to take my privilege down a notch. <laughs> because it's like love Nicole Eisenman's work, but it's like you, okay, you're a queer rich artist in New York. Like I don't really see I don't know. I guess the real question is why are we so mean? Us? Yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> No, I'm just like... I don't think we're mean. Just this list, it's like one third of it is like annoying. <laughs> In the weekend friend story and like connect the dots, figure out who that is. <laughs> I mean, I think the, th- the thing that I'm... I mean, and I guess this is again, this is about the press machine and it's... Press is kind of... This lifestyle press is inherently stupid. For the most part. And it's I don't know who they're really trying to sell this to. Like, who is the Target Times audience? Is it my mother? Is it me? Is it you? I don't, I don't know. But, I mean, it just it, it makes people say stupid things. And then... Flattens it. If, yeah. I mean, yeah. Nicole Eisenman saying, I love being nude on a beach all summer. Like, is this, no, is this newsworthy? Yeah. I also love being out of yeah. beach all summer naked, but like, do I need, does that need to be public information? Yeah. yeah I guess it's when you, when you, around it? yeah. When you say it in person, offhand, in regular conversation, in conversation, it's totally normal, fine. But then, yeah, when it gets committed to print, you're like, this just seems stupid. Like, and not about, well, it's her, just, it just, doesn't make enough, it's not important enough to be. I mean, and I guess this is what I'm saying about lifestyle publications. It's just yeah. like it's trying to turn everybody into someone special. Yeah. And I mean, I guess this is kind of the genius of like Interview Magazine, where it it ended up humanizing famous people because they all just sounded stupid and regular. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the interview format. But when it's people who, I mean, you're not. I mean, you're essentially a regular person if you're a painter. Like nobody really yeah, yeah. cares about you. As or if a you're Sarah Nicole Prickett, writer, thirty-four, who the New York Times has already put on multiple lists. <laughs> like, like it just doesn't matter to me that you enjoy, you love being nude on a beach all summer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and there's nothing really about this friendship bond. It's just, it's like, yeah, well, we also go to a beach. We all do. I mean, I just look at this and I don't really see anything that revolutionary about this sort of click or type of friendship. Like this, again, these are no, like the times are not dire anymore. They're not sort of coming together as means to sort of seek out a haven from like a world that persecutes them or, and so as David said, like what started out as a, uh, how did you put it as a revolution as transformed into a style or a lifestyle choice basically? Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to pillory these people for being in the New York Times. I mean, if the New York Times called me and said, I want to put you in this T-Style magazine, I would say, hell yeah, give yeah, me yeah. a photo shoot. It'll increase my brand. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't actually find any fault with any of this. It's just uh, more about the the machinery of lifestyle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just... It's not, the issue is not these people specifically. It's it's just this um, the media momentum and the machine of... Uh, the media elite in New York. 
and the kind of uh, social nepotism that comes along with it. Well, uh, speaking of social nepotism, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, pa- this past week in Berlin has also seen a... Uh, has had some interesting news that you might like to share with us, uh, including oh, your, uh, cl- your short claim to fame. Oh, what is your claim <sighs> to fame? I mean, I didn't hear this. Well, you need to click subscribe on my Instagram stories because there, <laughs> there has been a Berlin shitstorm <laughs> this past uh, half week. Okay, so just have to rewind. On last Friday, when we recorded our most recent episode, uh, after the recording, uh, I uh, had to do a little activity, which doesn't include a same-day test, because in Berlin right now, you have to get tested if you want to go to, like, (laughs) H&M. And so I went to the hardware store to buy a light fixture, and then I went to Metro, which is kind of like Costco, which is right next to Berkine, the infamous techno club uh, that every annoying uh, Berlin tourist wants to try to get into, uh, which we've discussed on the pod. Amir has told us about some of his uh, glorious nights there. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> So I passed by Barrakine on the way, and I noticed that there were trucks moving out audio and lighting equipment in flight cases. And I was trying to record a a live roving reporter shot of me reporting for (laughs) the podcast. (laughs) Because I thought, who could, like, who would be throwing an event right now when we're in this insane lockdown right now? You can't meet anyone privately um, after 9 p.m. period outside of your household. And during the day, you can only meet with one other person. Um, so I was like trying to get this video. The lighting was bad, whatever. I moved on. So the next morning, I wake up and see that a friend has reposted videos. There was a Bottega Veneta fashion show at Berkine, <laughs> which is literally across the street from a fire hall and a police station. Uh, so various uh, bold-faced names were in attendance from the city's clout-chasing fashion and DJ influenza elite uh, to an Italian ballet dancer to various UK grime rappers that flew in for the occasion. Uh, I also heard a rumor that Lady Gaga was there. That's unconfirmed. Really? Yes, that's the rumor I heard. Uh, and But a lot of like international models were flown in and stuff. So there was a hired Getty Images photographer uh, doing staged photos of people strutting into a nightclub that's been shut down for a year, uh, which friend... Is that like a <laughs> sartorial blog? Type yeah, the, the sartorialist style. Like they're at Place Vendôme uh, going to a Chanel show. That's uh, so 2007. Yes. Did so, they have a step and repeat? Uh, no, no. It, it's like, it's like uh, you're like walking into the site of the fashion show, like that kind of, you know... Okay. documentary coverage and uh which f- as friend of the pod kate brown pointed out on twitter uh staging faux paparazzi shots is quite uncool like just in general <laughs> <laughs> okay so then other videos on uh instagram stories revealed that there was like an insane bump in party at soho house allegedly 
which as an article from CNN today pointed out, someone made a noise complaint to the police. And the police called the hotel reception, didn't actually go to investigate why there was a giant party at a hotel and restaurant that should be shut down right now and not hosting parties. And uh, so the reception people got the noisy people to be quiet and the police didn't come down or intervene further, which uh, as per my April O'Neill detective skills, um, (laughs) which the story is currently on Instagram stories. I've highlighted where Soho House is in proximity to a police station and their kitty corner to one another. <laughs> so how did you miss a giant party going on uh, when it's quite visible? The club floor would have lights and people on. Um, so, and I just have to say, like, I've had friends of friends who were, like, involved in, you know, like, house parties and apartment parties, not, like, crazy blowouts, but they, when there was a noise complaint from a neighbor, the police came down, came in, saw that there was more than five people in an apartment because, like, not that long ago, was, the limit was five people. And the host was fined over 4,000 euro, and each person was given a 2,000 euro fine. Um, I mean, Berlin police loves a noise, a noise yeah, complaint. Yes, so. they do. And so just do the math and connect the dots and figure out why that got ignored. So, then, now that I'm uh, an Instagram social justice warrior and the <laughs> Bernie Sanders of the Berlin cultural world, um, every, basically everyone has fucking had it. It's one set of rules for us and another set of rules for the connected and wealthy. And I reposted these stories pointing out how stupid this is and tagging, tagging the the dorky white people in the corner as white boy summer, which uh, Amir will be launching soon. Um, (laughs) And the video went viral. It appeared uh, in various online news sources, like my video with the text and like my username at the top. Uh, It appeared on Twitter, on various Instagram accounts, uh, and people were sending it to me. And then much like Wendy became the hot topic i became a hot topic myself when you di- should you should start a competing account to uh, diet prada and call it bmi prada maybe <laughs> <laughs> so i uh was featured on diet prada they reposted the video which another user had reposted um brenda hashtag and they at pish checked me in the story uh tagged me and then mentioned me in their story post which they write in that uh, journal uh, journalistic style we love to make fun of um, and then they referred to me as Instagram user at pishcheck <laughs> area man <laughs> yeah so uh, my story views jumped from like 300 a day to 8,000 <laughs> Wow, I, you're I, famous. Yeah, I got like 130 new followers. Um, Were you able to parlay it to some major sales? No, but I would Did love... Did you get a sponsorship? Any sponsorship contracts? I would love a sponsorship for Thoughts on Art. Um, we're in this together, Amir. Any T Magazine features? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, that was kind of crazy. Everyone is super fucking pissed off now that... All of this is just coming out of the woodwork. Um, Someone called me jealous. Another person was like, well, shaming people doesn't work. 
Uh, and it's not about it that. Actually, does. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, it totally. Well, especially does. brands and companies and people who are being like shitheads. But I think the the real thing is that people have had it with like these self appointed arts and culture gatekeepers in the city. That it just feels like we're living in a small provincial city and not like the capital of Germany, kind of like, you know, the capital and biggest city of like the most important economy in Europe. And it's just like, it's not that much smaller of a city than New York, but it's like five people thinking they run the show and then just like using their wealth and their ill-gotten Nazi money and like... (laughs) what are you suggesting and then bragging about going to events and doing whatever you want flaunting it and then it's like everyone was bragging about Virgil Abloh coming to their gallery and posting photos of him maskless when he should be in like a five day quarantine actually Um, I mean 2014 called it wants it's uh, (laughs) wants it's style back they all just want their like halo effect of clout and it's like really ridiculous and anyway these are the same people who have like the audacity to organize a show at Berkheim, um allegedly send an sms to the cultural minister or senator for berlin asking for two hundred fifty thousand euro uh to have that boros Berkheim studio berlin exhibition and then pay some of the artists 150 euro as an artist fee for being in the show meanwhile they're charging everyone 20 euro to enter which if you do the math of how many people would come in a day during the run of the show, it gets into like hundreds of thousands of euro, if not over a million. So I'm sorry, but it's like everyone's had it. It's time for a shakeup. And this isn't about personal responsibility versus government responsibility because like I don't care like if a friend is going and hanging out with more than one person or five people or whatever, like that's not my business and I don't think that's actually what's like causing the pandemic pandemic to keep raging like it obviously is about like the government failing to do what they need to do in terms of like workplaces factories etc but what bothers me is that this is actually emphasizing the failure of governments and that they're not doing anything to address those issues and then this comes out as this further like divide between the rich and connected and everyone else so it's like i know plenty of people who have small businesses who would love to have events in a safe way or open their bar or restaurant, even for like outdoor dining. And there's literally no way they can do it. But then these people can like break rules, do whatever they want. And there's no consequences and no deterrence for other people, you know, kind of in a similar position. Um, so I've been getting a lot of DMS from people that work at Bottega Veneta. They're like super pissed off with the company and the designer, Daniel Lee and from artists who are in the Barakine show where they're like, I did this work. I got 150 bucks and now they're hosting like super spreader events. She's like, this is all fucked up. And I was surprised even the people that are really like plugged into like the fashion art culture world in Berlin, who I thought had all like drunk the Kool-Aid were also writing me and just be like, being like, this is so fucked up. Like these people are like out of touch with reality. So that's, what's been happening. <laughs> It's like 60 Minutes with Pshemek, the Berlin edition. Yeah, I'm sorry I just rambled, but it's like uh, I mean, there's something about the culture gatekeepers either here or there that, and I know this from people who have worked for major dealers during this period, and the, 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 the rich folk just, they don't really think COVID's real. 
Yeah. And they still don't. And it's very strange. And I even knew of like a real super spreader event where the guest of honors aged, this was right before COVID started. Mm -hmm. Uh, The guest of honor and the host decided this was like during armory week 2020. And they decided to host this big party against everybody's, uh, all of their staff's protestations and warnings. And the guests of honors, aged parents both died from COVID. Jesus Christ. And so I'm just wondering, I mean, that's my question about this, these events It's like, how many people, I mean, I doubt there are that many 80 year olds in attendance, but how many people are going to die from that? Yeah. And it's just, it's fair. It's strange. It's a strange thing where, I mean, I guess you just think you are all powerful yeah, or that your money can get you whatever. But I just want, I mean, that's my tangential take on this event is how many people are going to get sick from being at that party and then how many of their parents are going to die or whatever. And then yes, how does it just prolong the pandemic situation for everybody else? No. Wait, David, you you went to Berlin uh, a couple of years ago. What was your I did. What was your impression? How was your trip? <laughs> uh, I think Berlin is creepy. I'm not a big fan. Uh, I'm not really a clubber. Uh, Except for uh, acid-infused water. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> me with some 50-year-olds at a restaurant. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's my version of clubbing. <laughs> or getting some cocktails at Clandestino at 7 o'clock and then... The early bird. Drinking, uh, you know, <laughs> drunkenly making pasta and going to bed. Well, we That's went to an bird. Indian restaurant and had cocktails in Berlin near the canal. Yes. I remember that. And I'm going to yes, take you on a tour fun. of my favorite, like, middle-aged gay bars next time. That's that's <laughs> my vibe. So, I mean, I would like to learn that side of it. Uh, you know, it's... I didn't really get the hype. I will say. And I won't get really into the, you know. The 1939 through 1945. Yes. We can leave that part out of it as a secular American Jewish person. A a recurring theme, as Amir pointed out, uh, Germans not taking responsibility for things. (laughs) I didn't say that, but sure. (laughs) Uh, Did you see any shows while you were there? It was in August, so I didn't really see much. I saw, um, I didn't see anything that was very memorable. Okay. No memorable food. No memorable food. I know. Like a lot of Australian coffee shops. (laughs) (laughs) There was one cute gay bar near where I was staying that I went to a couple times. I went to Berghain and left early. Wait, what time did you go? It's, a, it's timeless there, Amir. <laughs> no, but like the tourist hour or what? Like, I don't like being up late. You have to okay. go to lab next time. You enter between 10 and No, I went there too. I went to lab too. I went to lab dressed like in tennis whites. Oh, I love which that. Was my, which was normal for me. Actually, I remember your tennis look that trip. Maybe I saw you that day. Why didn't we go to lab together and do two for one drinks? <laughs> I don't know. I think you had to go back to Poland or something. I guess so. It was that day. That I was wearing the tennis plates. Well, come back. You can stay with me. I'm getting a fold-out sofa. I went with a friend of the pod who stopped listening to us, Aika. Um, we went to look at sofas a few days ago. 
I'm getting a pull out. Wait, why did he stop listening to us? Is it his old phone? <laughs> well, I just got a WhatsApp message. Uh, he just got a black iPhone 12 mini. So I won't have to endure his photos anymore that look like I'm being catfished. Um, <laughs> every time I open a photo, he sends like, is this someone trying to scam me? Well, I guess it's easier to buy an iPhone in Berlin than get a vaccination. <laughs> um, okay, David. Well, I'm, oh, yeah. sorry. Yes, Amir? Go ahead. No, I just want to ask. Okay, there's a lot of like shakeup in the New York gallery world. There's galleries closing now. Places like Metro Pictures who have been around forever. What is happening in New York? I mean, it's the, on that level, it's the same trend that we've been seeing for a long time which is that everything it's you know it's like a mall everything's going to be at some point everything's going to be owned by or you know it's just like regular capitalism everything's going to be owned by craft or clorox or whichever one is or my favorite everything's going to be owned by johnson and johnson <laughs> hauser and worth is going to become johnson and johnson and they're going to buy up all the small things like doesn't clorox own burt's bees and all of that Probably. like it's all that's what it's all going to turn into and i mean i think that the mid level gallery is not going to survive the mega gallery are they going to get absorbed by the higher tier gallery i or? think so i think either they're going to retire as you know janelle and uh helene did or they're going to do a Gavin Brown, and, you know, that's based on age. I mean, Gavin is 20 years younger than... I mean, they're at retirement age. So, I mean, I get that that... There's, it doesn't need to become a dynasty. I mean, this is something that a friend of mine pointed out when everybody was saying how terrible it was that they were closing. And she was like, why do we have to think of it as terrible? They had an incredible run as one of the most important galleries in the 20th century in New York and, and 21st uh, and they're in their 70s and they want to retire. Yeah. It doesn't need, like, this. we don't have to have this. This is not an aristocracy. It's, it's, it wants to be an aristocracy where there's a lot of Europeans who hand it down to their children and a lot mm -hmm. of Americans who hand it down to their children. It seems kind of more European now that I'm thinking about it. But, you know, the Zwerners and the Listen people and yeah. Koenigs and all of these things where it's like this generational Marlboro and all of those things. It's like, we don't have to live in feudal times. And yeah. I mean, we don't need dynastic galleries. Don't need to be dynasties. Yeah. Yeah. They are, can be businesses where you open and then you're had a good run as a business. And then yeah, but how else you, you retire. How else do you perpetuate the uh, family's wealth? Well, you can make it. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, then, you, but then, no, you take that money and then you do other things with it and just, yeah, I mean, there's a lot smarter ways to make yeah. a lot of money than art. Yeah. But I, I used to work in the nonprofit art world uh, at a media arts center in Canada and we had this presentation. I don't remember who it was, but it was a, a good shift in thinking for everyone that even in the nonprofit world, not everything has to go on forever. So even with a nonprofit yeah. organization, at some point you have to examine its life cycle and just say, does this actually need to keep going? Do we have to try to squeeze water from a stone with this or can we just wind down now? It's like we've done our service for what we needed to do and let's close down and something else will come up that also does this. 
Yeah, but I mean, I, but I mean, the world needs five institutional shows every year of Cindy Sherman. Who's gonna, <laughs> who's gonna facilitate that? How's her in Worth? How's her in Worth? Well, uh, and you know, it'll just—it's you know, it's—I don't know. It's—it's very—it's very hard. I put a. Everybody's chafing, and the boomers are not relinquishing any authority or grip on culture. And I mean, you know, yeah, defund I defund you know, Jerry Saltz. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um, uh, no I mean I posted something you know if we're all just talking about Instagram I put on my story last for this past fall some of those like Cindy Sherman cross-dressing photos that everybody was raving about and was like is it just me or is this just completely irrelevant boomer schlock yeah. and so many people of our age group were like yep Yep, this is crap. This is useless. This is useless. And I don't know. It's just it, there needs to be some kind of... And I mean, maybe this is the reason that galleries turn into these dynasties is because they want it to be this seamless generational transition where nothing changes, where then the young the young version of whomever, David Werner's son, is then plugging whichever artist and then that just continues as opposed to there being some kind of sea change um and do you feel like every generation has to be disrupted by an outsider or is there a way to sort of facilitate a meaningful change from within the system i think there's ways to make change i mean i'm i would say that i'm not that cynical about the new Ebony Haynes, David Werner thing, because I think it's a really smart partnership, and I think that she has a really unique voice, and why not tap into somebody with basically unlimited resources? Um, Love Ebony. Yeah, so I don't think that there's a need, I mean, it doesn't have to, I mean, you can work within the existing system, and if you can get people to give you some access to some very small portion of their enormous fortune in order to do something that's socially and culturally important, more power to you. Um, but I do think that people, I mean, you know, they drive those stakes into the mountain, whatever you call those things, pitons. <laughs> so those things are called. <laughs> Um, and they just, they're holding on and they are, keep climbing up that mountain and they just keep wanting to have the same amount of wealth and power and more and more and more and more. And that's, you know, I think at some point, you know, the art market is just another form of, and probably much more unfettered form of naked capitalism. And so, yeah, it's all going to become like the craft version. Hauser and Worth and David Swerner will be like craft and Johnson and Johnson. And they'll have products for many different people across the spectrum. They'll have their young gallery. They'll have their mid-tier gallery. They'll have their blue chip. They'll have their historic. And it's just the way that money works. It'll so, be like the various Marc Jacobs shops 15 years yeah. ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And uh, what are some forms of meaningful disruption that you're able to identify now in the market? Something that might be long-lasting? or I don't know. I guess I'm asking what excites you at, at the moment outside of that sort of mid- or high-tier, top-tier gallery world? 
I'm not sure that I have a firm grasp on what on a larger trend that excites me at the moment. I just really like that people are still doing things on a human scale and that people, you know, you can walk into a small gallery and talk to the owner and the artist, you could talk to the artist and it's, you can have real interactions around culture that are happening in front of you. And I think if, as long as that is able to continue, then, you know, that's, that's what my personal business ethos is. And that's why I, what I try to foster with my gallery. And so I think if I can just keep doing that and just having, you know, inter interactions with other people about art and about culture and about what's going on, then I think then that's, that's, I mean, that seems to be the realest possible thing for me to hold on to. And aside from figuration, what do you also find yourself sort of steering clear of or not, just not gravitating towards these days? Uh, I mean, I kick myself every day about why do I not like figurative painting more <laughs> and why don't I just suck it up and show it more? Um, but because what you is don't give problem? into trends. <laughs> <laughs> what is my problem? It just doesn't really appeal to me. I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of it is kind of, I'm. I'm it's a bit it's a bit too romantic and self I mean this the, this current iteration of figurative painting is a bit romantic and self-aggrandizing for me I don't think that it's also it's there's nothing there's nothing critical about it and it's all a bit too personal for me I don't really care that much I don't I just don't think anyone's life is that fascinating or important that we need to know that much about it or make work about it unless you look good nice <laughs> i mean it's very pretty it can be very pretty yeah and i think that's kind of where it stops and that's where it starts and ends um and then you have to make up language around it to make it meaningful um yeah. i wish that people's uh Social, social, and uh, ethnic and racial identities would stop being so much a part of marketability, and as such, uh, because I just think it just ends up you get so quickly turned into a commodity and then absorbed into the bigger flipper auction market, and then eventually just kind of spit out on that. And I think it's very troubling when I mean it's one thing if you look at you know whatever we were talking about five years ago zombie formalism as a thing and then if you're talking about a specific group of people as a thing it's a very different thing because it's very strange to speculate on an identity group uh, mm -hmm. and I wish that that would stop happening um, but I mean then again the non-cynical take on that is that it's sort of a vehicle for you know, enfranchisement of certain identities and groups that up until now didn't sort of get their... No, I totally agree with that. I mean, and I totally agree with that. And I agree. I mean, I'm certainly not saying we should pretend that people don't have their, they don't have backgrounds and that doesn't inform their lives and their work. I just, when it enters the speculative market is where I find it very distasteful and, uh, if you look deeper into it, just kind of ugly and no, and that's cynical because it's these galleries were somehow ignored kind of those 
taxonomies, if you will, and suddenly are paying attention. And it's not because they thought, oh, actually people are being excluded from the art world or the system or the market. We should do something better. It's just like, oh, we actually don't have that artist that people want. You know, like... Yeah, I mean, I was cc'd on an email after right after the Trump election from a mega collector to a dealer saying, I'm so upset about the Trump election. I really need to start buying black artists. And then I've known this collector for several years and seen this person's uh, collection cycle and know that every three or four years this collector will... F- do a redo and then sell everything at a profit. Yeah. And it's just, you know, this is somebody with a lot of generational wealth and privilege and it's, you know, it's making somebody feel better without actually doing anything to help people or make any systemic change in the world. Yeah, exactly. Well, what are some other trends that you uh, <laughs> take issue with in 2021 to put you on the spot? Yeah, you're really giving me a... <laughs> um, Have you sold any NFTs this year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> I have not, in fact, sold any NFTs. Uh, I mean, it? that's something that... I mean, I just... I guess it, that all just seems so ridiculous to me that it doesn't even feel like it's really part of the art world as I know it, where it feels just like people are trying to... These investors are trying to uh, use the cloak of art use the kind of cloak of art as a form of prestige (laughs) to launder money, which is what art is anyway in many cases, particularly at that level. But I mean, I think it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I guess art has always just been a money laundering tool in many ways, but uh, this just feels so disconnected from kind of any formal institutional structures that I do respect and think are important. And it's only about somebody making a dumb... I mean, I don't even really understand what it is. It's like an image that you have as a file. I don't understand how it has such a terrible carbon footprint. I I mean, I really am uninformed about it. Uh, I'm informed, and I think it's bullshit. And I'm trying (laughs) to be a scammer about it so Amir and I can buy apartments. Um, (laughs) Well, maybe check out the Koenig Gallery NFT show, uh, David. Oh, is there one? Jeez. I mean, I know the auction houses are up in it, and I know that there's some... Oh, Jesus. It's called The Artist is Online. That is so corny. I mean, also, these are... these. I mean, I'm just looking at the website now. I mean, these are just not interesting things to me. They're just digital images that look like... Like first year... Well, yeah. I mean, I also think, like... Probably tech people can make much more interesting things. And they are. And they are. And the art world is just trying to play catch up because there's money there. I mean, I would have, I have no interest in, I mean, this, it just looks like bad computer graphics. I think that's the point. I mean, I guess that is the point, but do people spend, and then people spend money on it because it's, then they know they can try to flip it or something. I mean, no hard idea. pass. I'm not very tech savvy. 
nor am I that interested. And I think <laughs> that, like, I'm not. I'm just not interested in the tech world personally. Yeah. And I think it's. It's just. I mean, it's just another form of. It's just another economy. Yeah. And it's one that makes a ton of money and has a very specific type of person that tends to work there. I mean, did you read that New York Magazine thing this week? Sorry, I'm paywalled. This- I get about two articles a month. So. <laughs> <laughs> there was an article about someone who was suddenly rich. And it was from it was a first person narrative about a woman who became suddenly rich from her tech company IPO. And she was just awful. Oh, was it the Bumble? I mean, she, the Bumble or the Hinge lady? I don't know. It was, uh, it was, she was anonymous, oh, so okay. we don't know. But she was talking about how, like, now she pays for shipping to buy a $10 candle for her, or pays $10 to ship a candle to her sister. Like, what? <laughs> she now is buying $15 cheese. Oh. I would do that too. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, bought, I bought $12 I mean, I'm, cheese I in no Winnipeg. Money, but I buy $15 <laughs> cheese anyway. <laughs> And, you know, she also talks about, she talks about how she's like looking for a partner and one of the things that she specifically looks for is pedigree. Oh. In a partner? Sounds, yes. sounds like a clan member. T- yeah. I mean, it was, which just meant kind of uh, f- family wealth, obviously. Yeah. But not new wealth. Uh, I guess not. I mean, but even though she's, yeah, it's just, it was very strange. And... That's kind of a tangent, but that—it just—it kind of epitomized the tech industry to yeah. me, and you know, the Googlers and all of that, and just—I don't know. So yeah, I just don't really know about NFTs, nor do I really care. That, what are some of the things you're excited about? Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. Here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> oh my god, you guys are really putting yeah, me I was going to say, like, what, thing. what's like. Um, you know, like an artist you love that you don't work with or, yeah, things you're excited about. I mean, I will say, and this is kind of a, this is an easy answer, and I'm giving myself an easy answer because I feel like I'm talking a lot. Uh, the Alice Steel show was really revelatory. Mm-hmm. And, no, Alice Neal, not Alice Steel. <laughs> Danielle Steele, the Danielle Steele book show. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm happy to talk about my favorite Danielle Steele books and my theories about how Danielle Steele is like the other side of the 20th century American writer coin to Joan Didion, but that's that's my podcast. Um, no, the Alice Neal show—it's amazing. It's got so many beautiful paintings. There's so much interesting history about her political activism in New York as a real person. And God, I love Danielle Steele. Amir is Amir's pulling up pictures. Um, <laughs> To all of you at, at the listening, the ten people listening to this podcast, ten, read family you are album so first. Fucking shady! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I would recommend first family album. That's the one that's most akin to a Didion book. And then, <laughs> if you want some escapism, I would read Zoya, which is about a displaced Russian aristocrat ballet dancer. I was say, is she a Russian Jew? Zoya. <laughs> no, no, no. She's a Russian princess. Wait, is Daniel Danielle Steele writing the story of Anna Delvey? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, except she was not. She's of course she's not a scammer because she's you know she's an she's an emigre. Right. 
she, you know, her, her, her palace got burned by the, by the Bolsheviks. Like Rochelle Rochelle. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, anyway, no, I mean, the Alice Neal show was really inspiring and to me. It was really amazing to see shitty. some, well, it's beautiful. Exactly. Well, yeah, but yeah, exactly. It's real figure. It's real. I mean, I'm not, I don't have a thing against figurative painting. I think I just have a thing against, uh, how flat everything has become. Yeah, and I and think it that that's kind of a reaction against Instagram art collecting, and I think that's also a reaction against like art as style, which I just am really tired of. Like, say something, do something, make it. Yeah, it's like something. a Chloe Wise painting. I just don't believe it. No, I don't either. So, so yes, the Alice Neal show. That'll be my. And now I'm done. I'm done taking your questions. <laughs> Well, David, I just wanted to reference a Vogue 73 questions list with a few. <laughs> I mean, ask me some of those. Ask me about, make, I'll pretend I'm Nicole Kidman. Describe yourself in a hashtag. Butch Queen. Ooh. Dream country to visit. Um, I'm currently obsessing about going to Japan. Ooh, same. We should all go together. Okay, I know the answer to this. Obviously, style icon. Lady Diana. Yes, knew it. Superpower you would want. Um, seeing through people's clothes. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what's your favorite color? White. <laughs> <laughs> At least to wear. Okay, on an you object. You put on the spot there. <laughs> uh, I like a, like... Chartreuse. Yeah, I like, like a, an orange or a pink or something like that. Okay, coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, a skill you're working on mastering. <laughs> God, I don't know. Drinking less? <laughs> And finally, best thing to happen to you today? My COVID shot. Easy. Oh, I thought you were going to say fucking thoughts on art. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thoughts on art and then my second COVID shot. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I I think we can uh, wrap it up. Yeah, a dime (laughs) from Dime Square. Indeed. The denizen of denizens. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. um, well, Pshemek, uh, you have anything interesting coming up for you this uh, this rest of week? Oh, I'm just doing stressful computer work, trying to get uh, things ready for two shows in May, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And um, just trying to get... Your new work looks really great. I love those purple paintings. Oh, thank you, David. That's so kind of you. Thank you. And that's from a that's coming from a professional. <laughs> so I'm gonna send from his mouth to from his ma- mouth to a commercial god's ears. <laughs> from his mouth to Marion Pischek's ears. Dad, look, <laughs> an arts professional liked it. Uh, <laughs> um, what else? I don't know. I'm just like trying to be outside as much. I've been cycling everywhere, uh, safely seeing friends outdoors. And I'm just really ready for summer to be vaxxed and to see you in New York so we can have our hidden microphones on at museums and just like walk around and be shady on 
this podcast. <laughs> you want you want to have your vice vice boy Zoma in Berlin? <laughs> um, white goy summer. <laughs> white. Goy. <laughs> How about you? What are you up to? Um, I'm uh, just heading out to lunch in Tribeca, so I'll uh, do some posting of uh, postings of some denizen sightings oh, yes. in about an hour. Or so. Yes. Uh, for my dry paint column, <laughs> <laughs> which hopefully I won this week. Oh yeah, fingers yes. crossed. Uh, um, yeah, maybe I was hoping maybe to go to the Barnes Foundation tomorrow to see that Soutine de Kooning show, oh, but nice. it's going to rain, so we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it. Nice. Um, okay, like before you leave David's place, though, I need you to get a spray bottle out. Spray him down that chest hair glistening in the sun, and take a take a good photo for uh for our, like coverage. I'm sure he has some saved in his favorites uh, folder already. <laughs> All righty, well, uh, thanks for coming on the pod this week. It was lovely. Thank you, David. My pleasure. We need we need to have uh, you on in the future. Yeah. And Pshamak, I will uh, hear from you and uh, talk to you next week. Talk to you next week, Amir. Choose. Choose. Bye. 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 I don't say choose.